Welcome back to Jog Pods from the Geography Department at the Lee School. Today, Ollie and Sam will be interviewing Mr. Francis to hear his perspective on whether India will be the next superpower. Enjoy. Thank you for joining us today to discuss superpowers. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the topic. So we're going to start off with the first question. Um, what, what is a superpower and what does it take to be a superpower? It's a pleasure to do this. Perhaps you'd like to start off with what you think are the criteria for being a superpower. So from our understanding, a superpower is a country with the ability to project its dominating power and influence anywhere in the world. And that's a basic understanding. If you could just touch in a bit more depth about what that means. Well, I think the historical perspective on this is that a superpower, if you go back, uh, if you take away the super, you have a power. And at the in 1914, the great powers of Europe, the imperial colonial powers, went to war with each other. So these were considered great powers. So if I go backwards in time just to begin, the 19th century had seen, I mean, it actually seen quite a few wars here and there, but it had seen a relatively long peace. And this was a result of the defeat of Napoleon in 1815-16. And you had what was called the Concert of Europe, um, which created a peace between the great powers. Mm. So they're considered great powers because they have large empires, they're industrialised, but they're able to compete with each other, which is why... In 1914, there is a large conflict between the powers. And of course, uh, you have the First World War and then you have the outcome of the First World War, which is another kind of settlement with the the Paris um, Peace Conference. But of course, we could consider the whole of the period from 1914 to 1945 as one big world war with with a little... Uh, pause in the middle of it, it's got a rather large pause with the Great Depression in the middle of it and so on. Um, but the idea of a superpower comes out of World War II yeah. because the United States and the Soviet Union could be considered superpowers because they were more than a great power. Yeah. And they were also superseding the, the, the 19th century imperial great powers. And what did they have? Well, as you say, they're able to project power across the globe. And that's simply because in order to fight and win the world war, the United States had to create, by necessity, military bases all around the world, all over the Pacific, etc., etc. So it's got this legacy of a very large military and a global presence. And what it does is maintain that. And of course, the war's also driven its economy. And there's a big boom post-war. And it maintains that. Now, the, the Soviet Union competes with it in that way. Obviously, uh, the creation of the nuclear Uh, Bomb, 1945, the Soviets have it by 1949. So there you have a bipolar world in which 
two powers rather than several powers compete on the geopolitical stage. Economic, military and obviously ideological and political in their influence and they seek to influence the rest of the world. Um, uh, some of the world remains non-aligned, yeah. which I think is probably going to be quite important for us when we get to India. Well, so I was just going to touch on one thing there. So you touched a lot on the military capability of those countries, but how do you think the cultural influence and political influence affects uh, the superpowers? That's a very good point. Well, start with America. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with martial aid um, at the end of the... from 1947-48, uh, a way of re- rebuilding Europe. So that's lots of American dollars going in to rebuild Europe. And along with it, a great deal of American cultural influence. Uh, The same can be said for Japan, which is entirely occupied by the United States, rather than other places which are joint uh, governed, such as Germany. Um, Yes, uh, it's definitively the case that that America um, had a cultural impact. Uh, The same, to some extent, can be said for the Soviet Union, in the ally, the countries that allied with it. Mm. I think the other thing, especially as we're going to come on to India, to re- realise is, of course, that uh, uh, the English was already established as a as a lingua franca, as a, as a as a popular um, shared language because of the British Empire. Yeah. And so America stepping into the shoes of the British Empire, if you like, um, have a, a cultural advantage in that respect. As we say, due to India having the fastest growth rate of 7% of any of the large global economies. Um, and not having as in-depth of a history as like that of, Europe, of the USA or the Soviet Union, how do you think this more recent high growth rate will affect their current status or future status? Mm. Well, I want to counter that idea that they don't have as long a history, <laughs> really, uh, as a power, because... Uh, the British ran India and the British. Two, two things, there are several more, but two things are really important. Railways, mm. which connect the continent. Um, enormously important. The English language uh, is the means by which, uh, under British rule, Indians themselves uh, uh, attain influence so the whole of the 19th century well excuse me well it is the whole 19th century but from 1858 it it stops just being um under the auspices of the um east india company and is is formally part of the uh, of the british empire and so if you want to make it as an indian you have to become part of the british empire you join the Indian civil service if you can. Uh, you join the Indian army. But I, it's very important to realise that they fight for independence and by 1947 they have it after the Second World War. But all of the infrastructure, linguistic, economic, has been built up. Now there's some controversy over that in terms of how much the British Empire leached from India 
but it was an integrated part of the British Empire. So if we're talking about India in, uh, in the 20th century, we've got to realise that that's the basis of their power. Now, in, at that point, it's still a very rural society. And over the 20th century, it develops. But it has a relatively special status. It's referred to as the biggest democracy in the world, or the most populous democracy in the world. It does have a form of democracy, of parliamentary democracy. It's very, very large, though. It's important to realise regional government in India is very, very important. There are some states that are still run by communists. Okay, there are states where you can't buy alcohol. You mustn't forget the diversity of the continent of India. Um, so in terms of its more recent economy, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, I have to say. Mm. The only thing I would say is first I'd note that from 1974 it had nuclear weapons. And in 1998, Pakistan of course, which was divided from the British Raj uh, partition in '47, also gained nuclear weapons, and then there was a kind of short war. They've always, there's always been tension between India and Pakistan over Kashmir on the border. Um, East Pakistan broke away in 1971 to become Bangladesh. So, um, India has developed, but I, I think I would say, and I'm not an expert in it, I would say that the fact that English is widespread within the education system there, it's part of succeeding, uh, means that they have a direct input, particularly in terms of um, the service industry. It also means their education system is, is, is strong, which means they're renowned for uh, technological expertise. Obviously, they've just landed on the moon. Um, so they're, they're very strong in that area. I'd also note, and I'm, again, I, I'm not an economist, and you'd need to go and check this, but India, the subcontinent, that very large subcontinental peninsula sticking out into the Indian Ocean, has, of course, the Pacific on one side and the Indian Ocean leading into the uh, Arabian Sea and up into the Gulf and so on, on the other. So it, it, it sits in a very interesting geographical position in terms of trade. Geopolitically as well, I think it's really important to understand where we are. There are bigger beasts. China, obviously. Mm. America. Um... There are questions now, uh, just to give some context, if you're going to talk about India as a potential superpower. There are questions now about the extent to which we have moved on from a unipolar moment. So during the Cold War, it's a bipolar yeah. moment. You've got a very large superpower, very large superpower. When the Soviet Union falls apart, in 1991, um, America becomes the dominant, the hegemon, um, the dominant power. And, and many people proceed on that basis. Many people assume that that's how things are going to go 
Francis Fukuyama writes his book, uh, The End of History, assuming that Western liberal democracy is going to be the future of all mankind. Now, that unipolar moment is in question now, particularly with the rise of China. Mm. So I just I don't think we can ignore those those really important developments. But how India fits into that is very important. And its current situation, as best as I understand it, with an arguably more multipolar world, is that it's, it's in a fortunate position in that it can maintain good relations with all sides. And all sides are quite keen to maintain relations with it for fear of the other side, if you like, uh, gaining an advantage. And this has definitely been important with the question of oil and the war in Ukraine. Um, So that's that's where I'd I'd place India at the moment. Have you got any further questions on that? You touched on it earlier, but we think, how do you think India's space success, obviously in terms of that moon landing, has impacted its status as a superpower? I I won't claim to know a great deal about this. Um, What you need, if you think about it, it depends what you think a space programme achieves. Um, Is it a symbolic power? Yes, it's simply a, a status symbol and as such carry some weight yeah um if you really want a large space program you need a lot of money Uh, it's extremely wasteful (laughs) in a sense um and what are you going to do with it but then again i would say of, of, of space programs in general um really since the 70s one might ask what they're really for now i'm not denying their scientific importance in mm. terms of um, scientific development and so on for kind of applications in space which then have uh, down the line applications on earth but uh, I would simply note that they're very expensive yeah. and I'd also note that much that uh, I don't know how excited to get about private space entrepreneurs like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Um, uh, so I'd, there may be an economic benefit, yeah. um, but I think there's a lot of that has to do with prestige. Mm. Well, and finally, so with India's recent developments in like technology with the moon landing and like their nuclear um, capability, technology, yeah. Would you say it's too early to classify them as a global superpower? Well, I guess I'd say yes. But what we find in history is that we hang on to a worldview which one generation or a couple of generations have been very used to. And we hang on thinking that's the reality for quite some time until we realise that the reality has shifted. Mm. Uh, China's rise in the last 20 years. I remember when that was first being 
talked about 20 years ago, reading the books about it and going, yeah, but China, mm, what? Mm. Now I look like a fool if I, I take that viewpoint. So I think it would be very foolish to underestimate um, India's potential. Um, one might look at China and say, how is India different and how does India do things differently? Because what China has achieved, as far as I understand it, is a raising out of poverty of millions and millions. Now, you might not like their authoritarian government, etc., etc. That's a political question. But in India, you have a kind of similar question. Um, I think the other thing about technology is um, powers are very touchy about, these days, are very touchy about technological advantage mm. and where you make microchips really matters and that's why there's a question of um, uh, what is the word in sourcing now um, chip production to the United States to uh, um, to deal with the potential of not being able to get um, get your hands on those things. So I suppose the basis of any superpower has to be that it has a guaranteed economic dominance. Um, in the sense that it's got such that the, the, the kind of the US has the dollar mm. and as such it has a kind of guaranteed economic dominance. Um, China has developed trade relationships all over the globe. It's pushing the the Belt and Road Initiative, um, uh, and as such, as kind of has its, if you want, and I'm using this as a neutral term, its tentacles. You know, its it, its reach um, is that successful. Now, I'm not an expert on India, but were I to ask the question about India's future, that is what I would ask. Well, thank you very much. I thank thought that was really insightful.